transmitting from the Mojave Wilderness in Joshua Tree, California. Now is the time for Desert Oracle Radio, the voice of the desert. Thunderstorms across the desert. Night has fallen on the Mojave and you can stand outside at night and watch the whole desert light up. There's 29 Palms. There's Barstow. Oh, and look, that towering electrical insanity over the New York mountains in the preserve. Horizontal lightning on the horizon over the little San Bernardinos. And then, if you're lucky, the downpour. The temperature drops 30 degrees as cold rain batters the sand and the highway and your rooftop. I heard a weatherman calling such a thing a microburst and I thought, what is wrong with everyone? Why do you people have to try to ruin everything? This is a cursed time of year for the desert visitor. Every August, right on time, people start disappearing. It happened again last week. It happens a lot in national parks and national forests. People just disappear. As for this current missing couple, of course it is hoped that they turn up. But seven days in, you start to wonder... Maybe it was all planned. You can't blame anybody for wanting to drop all this banal madness, student loans and credit cards and car payments and health insurance premiums. Just fake your death in the desert and start fresh somewhere. Maybe Canada. Maybe the people got lost on an easy sundown walk down the road from their Airbnb. Maybe the interdimensional monsters got them. I recalled the dazzling white light hovering over the northern tip of the Joshua Tree Wilderness on that very night last Thursday night. We watched it there for the longest time, and then it shot straight up. Way up where you see the jetliners on their way to Ontario and LAX. It lit up all green, and then green and red, and then it rotated and blinked out. What the hell was that? Who knows? Atmospheric abnormalities. Time-traveling devils. We can hope it's not the Marines testing some murder device over a protected national park. The Marines actually do a pretty good job at taking care of the desert around their base. They work with the Park Service and the Land Trust and all of that. Something they probably don't get enough credit for. You know those huge wildlife corridors connecting Joshua Tree National Park with the Mojave Preserve and Death Valley? The U.S. Marine Corps has bought and paid for much of that. The whole point of wildlife corridors, despite a name that's about as romantic as microburst, is to have plenty of space for the wide-ranging critters like bighorn and mountain lions, 
so that they've got room to breathe and places to rest and find food and mates as the heat and the drought makes these refuges farther apart, fewer in number. You might be lucky enough to glimpse a shadowy mountain lion on your evening walk, but that same mountain lion might have a home range of 300 or 400 miles, especially in the desert where there's less of everything, less plants, less prey, more nights spent on the trail looking for food. There are all kinds of theories about what to do if you see a mountain lion, but you'll have to figure it out on your own should you be lucky enough to see a big cat in the wild. A popular camping spot at Joshua Tree National Park is the Black Rock Canyon Campground on the west end of the park at the end of a dead-end road. But it wasn't always a national park campground. It was originally Jellystone Park, complete with statues of Yogi Bear. That's a good campground. There are trails that go up to Eureka Peak and all the way over to Keys View. And there's a very interesting trail that winds through a low canyon to the spring. Black Rock Canyon Spring, where flocks of pinion jays live in the pinion trees there. Now in September of 2010, a man named Edward Rosenthal drove up there from Los Angeles for a day hike. Because of the higher elevation, it's much more pleasant this time of year than much of Joshua Tree or 29 Palms or, God forbid, all the way down in Palm Springs where the trails are simply closed for the summer season eight or nine months of the year. But Ed Rosenthal was in a very good mood. He had just made a big real estate deal as the broker for Clifton's Cafeteria in downtown Los Angeles. Clifton's is a landmark. It opened in 1931, just as the Great Depression was settling in. Now, Charles Bukowski used to eat there as a young man, and he writes in his book, Ham on Rye, that the owner of Clifton's allowed poor people to pay whatever they could so that nobody went hungry. It was owned by some nice old rich man, Bukowski wrote, a very unusual person. Science fiction writers loved the place, too, as did members of various UFO and alien contact clubs in Los Angeles. Ray Bradbury was a regular and so was Robert Heinlein and L. Ron Hubbard and Forrest Ackerman, all part of a gang of sci-fi writers who held weekly meetings there. The decrepit old Cliftons had been sold, and this guy, Ed Rosenthal, he made the deal. He was happy, and he went to his favorite place, Black Rock Canyon just about two hours by car from downtown L.A., if the traffic's right. But it was a bad time of year for hiking. 
even at the higher altitudes. It was monsoon season, muggy and humid, the kind of weather that makes you want to give up and die. Weather like this, like we're having right now. Well, he walked and he walked and he got lost and he got confused and then it was the midday sun and before long it was the next day and the next day. For six days he was lost. He was smart and he was smart enough to seek in the heat of the afternoon any kind of shade he could find, but he could not find his way back. He was turned around completely. He wound up all the way down by Desert Hot Springs, near the southern boundary of the National Park. It was hot as hell down there, and he finally gave up. Writing on his hat with a ballpoint pen from his pocket, he made out a will and said goodbye to his wife and friends and family. But he didn't die. In fact, he was found alive, just after he finished scribbling his last will and testament on the brim of his hat. They got him to the High Desert Medical Center, and he survived that, too. He was tired and dehydrated, but otherwise unhurt. Ed Rosenthal was a rare case. He vanished and was found alive in a desert wilderness. He lived to tell the tale. Every summer, tourists die in the desert national parks. Joshua Tree, Death Valley, Mojave National Preserve. They'll be walking around with their family and suddenly they have trouble breathing and they need to take a little rest. And then the pulse stops. Sometimes they're middle-aged hikers like Ed Rosenthal. In good shape and fairly familiar with the area. Sometimes they're young and healthy Germans on holiday. Sometimes they're regular Americans trying to see some nature. Regular Americans and regular lousy health. Staggering around in the blinding sun. Wondering why their cell phone won't work. Park rangers in the desert southwest have a name for a particular kind of way that people die these days. Death by GPS. Tourists follow their car's navigation system, ignoring whatever common sense might otherwise prevent them from driving a rental car down a rough dirt road that leads them farther and farther away from water or help. And then they run out of gas or get stuck in the sand. And then they try to walk back in the 120-degree Death Valley summer heat, or the hot enough 100-plus in Joshua Tree. A couple of years ago, a young European couple disappeared up in the Joshua Tree wilderness. They had come for a summer vacation to see the Mojave because they loved that record by the Irish band U2, The Joshua Tree. Even though that record was made in Ireland, nowhere near the desert. And even though The Joshua Tree and the record's cover was up by Death Valley, a day's drive from Joshua Tree. Anyway, they got lost and they died. 
What can you do to survive in such situations? Well, don't take a rental car down a dirt road into the wilderness, for one thing. Don't rely on your cell phone, because you won't have service outside of the towns and the visitor centers. Always have water in the car. A couple of those crystal geysered two-gallon bottles will cost you about three dollars, and it might save your life. And if you don't need the water, you can use it to wash your arms or something. Tell people where you're going. Tell the ranger at the visitor center. Text somebody who might care if you go missing. And if you find yourself lost in the desert, don't get more lost. Stay with your car during the day. Move around so that you stay in the shady part. Don't sit inside. You're going to bake in there without air conditioning running. If you're on a road, you can walk back the way you came at night. After the sun goes down, stay on the road. The only shortcuts lead to your funeral. Which you probably can't afford anyway. And finally, if all else fails and your time is at hand, know that most people relax at the end. Find a place to sit down in the shade, if there's any shade. None of us live forever, and not enough of us get the time to sit alone in the quiet wilderness and contemplate our own existence, our place in the world. As surely as a single gopher snake or jackrabbit or centipede has a place in the world, we've got one too. You've got one too. Most of us never quite find it. A system, as it were, human civilization, doesn't much reward this kind of thing. It's a pretty good system overall. It's the best one we've had so far. But it has always depended on a fraction of its people to do the heavy spiritual lifting. You know, if everybody took a long walk in the desert every evening and sat on a boulder contemplating the world and refused to answer text messages in a timely manner and intentionally forgot their Facebook and LinkedIn logins, I guess we'd never get around to inventing some kind of worldwide taxi service that skims a few more dollars off a taxi driver's wages. We tell desert tales on this broadcast and within the pages of the Desert Oracle. But you can also experience such things in person during a limited engagement of Desert Oracle Campfire Stories at the Ace Hotel and Swim Club in Palm Springs, California on the first Thursday of the month. The next edition of our nighttime campfire stories at the Ace Hotel will be Thursday, September 7th. Outside, around a real campfire. Free and open to all. But of course, we'll have a camp bar set up right there. Along with blankets on the grass and log seats around the fire pit. You can also try the new Brush Fire Cocktail, sales of which benefit the conservation efforts of the Mojave Desert Land Trust. September 7th, that's a Thursday night, the Ace Hotel in Palm Springs. We get started at about 7.30 p.m.
It's really coming down out there. A contactee cult is a group of people united in belief of someone's experience with space monsters, aliens, star pilots from Venus or Mars. In the 1950s, following the first few nervous years of the UFO problem, thousands of regular people met in the desert, usually up at George Van Tassel's place north of Yucca Valley. Some of them had seen strange things in the sky, and some claimed that the strange things landed and took people aboard for whatever reasons. Probings, messages about nuclear war and the environmental devastation happening around them. Down in Desert Center, off the I-10, a contactee named George Adamski took some of the most famous UFO photographs. Skeptics said the pictures looked like somebody threw a hubcap across the sky. A true thing is that the desert produces consistently high levels of strangeness and occasional transcendence. It's easily proven by talking to people who live within or near to the desert wilderness. Now, national opinion polls show that about 10% of Americans say they've seen a UFO. But that number climbs to about 95% if you talk to people around Joshua Tree or Sedona or Pahrump. Well, I'm sad to report that most people are still waterheads. One can certainly debate the progress of the species and whether or not there is a net increase in the basic intelligence and moral worthiness of our kind, but on a day-by-day basis, it can be difficult to see an uptick. For example, these trails here. Now, these trails, they seem to do a good job at letting you know where they are and where you should be, especially in a nature preserve, a conservation area state or national park, etc. And yet, these many mountain bicyclists here have decided it's a good idea to leave the trail whenever convenient and create new bicycle trails in the process, as you can see. The trail is here. And these bozos were not satisfied, I suppose, so now we have these new scars across the absurdly fragile desert crust, which is what supports the plants over here and holds it all together. It was holding it together. Now, look, they're probably good, upstanding citizens, you know, educated millennials or whatever they're called, and they probably like to think that they give a hoot. And yet, they're not quite right in the head. They apparently don't understand that if you walk or drive over everything, it will eventually look like the other places that are walked on and driven over. Roads and trailways with no plant life, no wildflowers in the spring, just sand and a lot of dead Joshua trees that have fallen over. Come on. Well... We probably shouldn't be out here when we're seeing lightning. 
even if it appears to be in the distance. After all, there's not much out here that's taller than we are right here. Creosote plant now and then. A couple of these Joshua trees are getting up to 15 or 20 feet high, but they are few and far between. You know how most people are struck dead by lightning? Playing golf. And as Mark Twain said, Nah, it doesn't matter. previous broadcast, I mentioned a baffling experience with a pair of lights that chased me down Amboy Road the spring before last. I have since been made aware of the following. From the National UFO Reporting Center website, reportedly having occurred the night of July 6th, 2017 at approximately 11.40 p.m. on Highway 79 outside the dot of a town called Warner Springs just up the mountainside along Anzaborego State Park. The summary said tailgating vehicle disappears. Here's what this witness writes. Quote, while traveling east on Highway 79, another vehicle came up from behind and began tailgating me at 65 miles per hour. I slowed to 50 miles per hour to express my dissatisfaction with this miscreant. That didn't work, so I slowed again to about 40 miles per hour. Then the headlights from his vehicle just disappeared. I thought that he had foolishly shut them off, so I slowed to a near stop and carefully searched my rearview mirror. There was a moon so I could see well. There was no vehicle, and I am certain that it did not leave the road, as this is cattle country with fencing coming all the way up to the shoulder of the road. There is only one dirt driveway on this stretch, but I was not upon that. There are no tall trees or tall brush along this road to hide a car. The vehicle did not pass nor turn around. It was just gone. End quote. Friends, the autumn issue of Desert Oracle is due in your... P.O. box or other mail receptacle next month. But this will only occur if you are a current subscriber. Desert Oracle is the quarterly publication about the wonders and secrets of America's vast desert wilderness and the interesting little communities found around and within. 
Don't be on the wrong list in life. Become a subscriber today. Send $25 by check or money order to Desert Oracle, P.O. Box 1735, Joshua Tree, California. Or subscribe online at desertoracle.com. You'll receive four delightful pocket-sized issues of America's only quarterly magazine that's all about the desert southwest. You know, we are happy to correspond with many interesting characters around and across these desert lands. One such individual has kindly purchased subscriptions to the Desert Oracle for many of his co-workers at a biological sciences concern here in the western lands. And he gives them all crazy nicknames, like in a mafia movie. Now, he goes by... Cyrano del Desierto, something like that. Anyway, he sent this god-awful noise you are about to hear, which is a wrecked upright piano. This desert scientist found in a dry wash where so many treasures are found. broadcast also exists in the form of a podcast. It's called Desert Oracle Radio. You can subscribe for free on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and other such podcast delivery systems. Listen to episodes old and new. Tell your friends. Leave a review if you are so inclined. We do enjoy hearing from you in any form. For those of us blessed to live in the Mojave High Desert, you can hear us Fridays at 10 p.m. on KCDZ 107.7 FM from Amboy to Zizek's and across the Great Mojave. We close tonight with a few words from the pen of Sam Shepard, who passed away last week and left us with Western stories and poems and stage plays that always reward rereading. The following is from Motel Chronicles, our favorite slim volume of Sam Shepard's prose and poetry published by City Lights Books. Black cloud shadows on the Orocopia Mountains. Gigantic date palms, brown bags protecting their fruit. Alfalfa trucks, orange trucks filled with tires. Tangerine groves, ladders leaning on their trunks. Roofless stone foundations made from river rock. A single burned palm. Nothing around it burned. Giant chunks of truck tires frying on the road. Trailered racing boat. Solid chrome pipes. Dust blows all over Blythe. 101480, Coachella, California. That's our show for this evening. Good night from the voice of the desert.